Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA. Championship for Notre Dame! Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game! The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Good afternoon, everyone. Budweiser's weekday sports feed back on the air for this Friday, July the 28th of 2023. 29 more days until that Notre Dame football opener in Dublin against the United States Naval Academy. 2.30 Eastern time kickoff on Sports Radio 960 WSBT with our normal pre- and post-game coverage sandwiching the season opener in week zero of the college football season. My name is Darren Pritchett. I appreciate you joining me. 960 AM WSBT. Many of you are tuning in also on our streams at WSBTradio.com, our free WSBT radio app. Twitch app, video feed up and rolling as we kick off this Friday installment of Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Well, coming up on the program this evening, a lot of Notre Dame football talk, as you would expect, with day three of Notre Dame football practice taking place earlier today. We've got our hat trick of opening topics. Two of the three topics are Notre Dame football related. What about the quarterback positions at Notre Dame? Of course, we know Sam Hartman is the guy as the starter. There is a battle for the backup job. Marcus Freeman had some thoughts on the quarterback position earlier this week. Also, we've got our Twitter question of the day. Our opponent preview moves to the Duke Blue Devils, led by former Irish defensive coordinator Mike Elko. The Blue Devils, one of the surprise teams in the country last year with a record of 9-4. and four. 
they do have a much more difficult schedule this year. Some of the heavy hitters in the ACC that they did not play last year, they will play this year. Plus, you have to take on the Fighting Irish as well. So the expectation is Duke could be a really, really good team, but their win total could go from nine to, say, six or seven. We'll break down the Blue Devils, who bring back a lot of players from last year's team, coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. We have our Notre Dame football week in review, also in the 6 o'clock hour, end of the program, some sports wagering picks in our Sizzler segment here on WSBT Radio. I've got one eye on the show, one eye on Twitter, just in case something else happens in Major League Baseball with the trade deadline coming up on Tuesday. The number of pitchers the Chicago White Sox have traded over the last couple of days is now up to five. As earlier today, the White Sox traded starting pitcher Lance Lynn, relief pitcher Joe Kelly to the L.A. Dodgers for a former White Sox draft pick outfielder Trace Thompson, who's had a dreadful year and right now injured. And they pick up a double-A starting pitcher with some upside. From what I've read, the relief pitcher, 25 years old at double-A, limited upside in him. But the White Sox move on from two guys that would walk away from the organization anyway at the conclusion of the season. And they pick up the outfielder, Thompson, and those two minor league pitchers. And then just a little bit ago, The White Sox have traded relief pitcher Kendall Graveman to the Houston Astros, and they pick up their second minor league catcher of the week. They got Cuero from the Angels in the Giolito deal, and now they have acquired Corey Lee from the Astros, the number five prospect in the Astros system. They give up Kendall Graveman, a really good, solid right-handed reliever, and Kendall Graveman has a 2019 South Bend Cub championship ring. He was on a rehab assignment and started in game one of the Midwest League Championship Series against Beloit at Four Winds Field. And I asked someone within the organization recently, did he end up getting a ring? And sure enough, he did. He would have pitched in game four or five again had there been a game four or a five. But South Bend swept the series three straight. So we saw Graveman one time pitch four innings and got a championship ring out of the deal. So... The Cubs, excuse me, the White Sox have traded Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez to the Angels, Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly to the Dodgers, and Kendall Graveman to the Houston Astros. That's probably about, I'm guessing, 325, 350 innings pitched so far this year by the White Sox, and you've got all those innings to cover, so there's a lot of work to be done to cover All these upcoming pitches and innings to round out this 2023 season. Doesn't sound like much, but it is a challenge. You've got to have guys that can go out there and throw pitches to wrap up this season. And oh, by the way, the Sox have lost six in a row. All right, let's get to our hat trick of opening topics. We start with numero uno, the running backs at the University of Notre Dame. This is a fun topic. It's fun from the standpoint. There are five really good players to talk about on the depth chart. It's also fun right now from a speculation standpoint. We're not quite sure the order two through five. 
The alpha is Audric Estime. He's the Batman of the group. We know he's going to be the guy. But who's going to be number two? And it's very important who's three and four. As we have seen during the 2022 campaign in a tightly contested football game, you're going to see probably three running backs in a rotation on the field. Last year, you had a pretty good place to start with Estime and Diggs. But now Diggs is at LSU. And you've got a running back room of Audric Estime. You've got Jabron Payne, Jadarian Price, Devin Ford, and Jeremiah Love. Again, Estime is going to be number one, but where do you go from there? The good news is you have a lot of excellent choices if you're fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman. Yeah, it's. I, I talked to Coach McCullough about this in that we've known about J.D. Price, right? He's been here a year. Um, he did a heck of a job last spring before he got hurt. Um, Jabron Payne did a great job this spring. Devin Ford is a transfer from Penn State. And then Jeremiah Love is an incoming freshman. I think out of that whole group at Notre Dame, we have two snaps, right? And there's experience for us, but there's two snaps. Devin Ford played a little bit more at Penn State, but he also had a year where he didn't play. And so it's really inexperienced on the field. And so we have to, you know, get those guys as much experience here in these however many practices we have before we play that first game um, so we can know who we can truly count on. But it's a deep group, a talented group that just is inexperienced. And that's another part of the equation outside of Estime. And let's throw Ford in the mix as well from his time at Penn State. There's not a lot of carries under the belt of the rest of the group. Yet the expectation is Jadarian Price can be so dynamic for this offense. Explosive speed, great hands, as he showed in the Blue Gold game two years ago. It's fun to think about how they may line up. If I had to guess, and it is a total guess, for that first game, I think the three running backs that would be in what we saw last year, a three-man rotation, Audric Estime would get the number one snaps, no doubt about that. But I'm going to guess, in some order, it would be Devin Ford and Jadarian Price. Maybe Ford gets the call as the number two at the start of the season based on his level of experience getting on the field, playing at Penn State. Four-star recruit coming out of high school whose playing time diminished every year he was in Happy Valley. So even though Price, I think it's fair to say, has the higher ceiling, and by the end of the year, at some point, he definitely will be number two. Just a gut thought. A lot of coaches like to go with the veteran guy first and then adjust down the line. So maybe I go estimate Ford Price, and then we'll have to see more of Jeremiah Love. You kind of know what you get in Jabron Payne. I mentioned this to Eric Hansen yesterday on the program all Jabron Payne does is do what he's supposed to do did a great job in the spring filling in for an injured Logan Diggs first practice of the fall media is there for the entire practice has a couple of 
touchdown plays in practice. But as time goes on, it feels like he does his job, but he's slipping down the depth chart, at least from those of us on the outside looking in. So maybe first game, it's estimate Ford, Price, and then coin flip, Payne and Love. Maybe Payne gets the slight advantage again, being a little bit more of a veteran player. But it's going to be a fun room. If that offensive line does what we expect, and now with the added addition of the deep ball. The deep ball wasn't in play with Drew Pine. I'm not sure consistently it would have been in play for Tyler Buckner. But it's in play now. Sam Hartman, go back and watch his film at Wake Forest. He is terrific at flinging that football down the field and makes plays. So if you get the threat of the deep ball and that running game going at the same time, that's going to be really tough on defensive coordinators. You want to bring that extra safety up to slow down Audric Estime in the run game, but if you do that, you're vulnerable on the back end, and now Notre Dame's got a guy that can throw it over the top of you successfully. Dangerous, dangerous, in a good way, combination for this Notre Dame offense. Our second hat trick of opening topics for tonight's program. The day before Notre Dame football fall camp got underway, we got some surprising news as the leader of the strength and conditioning program, Matt Bayless, resigned his position. I know Marcus Freeman talked about this on Wednesday, paraphrasing. Matt just didn't feel like he could do what he needed to do to give these players the best chance to succeed, so he stepped aside. I had someone on Twitter say to Eric and I, why did you guys talk more about this? This is a big deal, and there's no doubt it is a big deal, number one. Number two, on Wednesday, we did spend a few minutes on the subject and highlighted the fact that this is a tough move to have, the day before fall camp starts but the good news is Matt's had all summer to get these guys ready for the start of fall camp so that was as always a job well done but it's really hard for us to go any further in the conversation other than what is obvious this is a big loss because we had so much respect for the job that he did forming the SWAT teams that you hear the coaches talk about building chemistry When you think back to where this program was before Bayless arrived, Matt deserves credit. Not just Brian Kelly, but Bayless is someone that works with those players daily, helps build the culture, and he deserves a ton of credit for that quick turnaround from that awful season to a couple of playoff bursts. Matt is in that group of individuals that did one heck of a job to help get this thing going back in the right direction. Second of all, he's a great, great individual, humble, and it's a big loss. And you think about Notre Dame, they've lost some key individuals in the program over the last year, year and a half, including Tommy Reese going from Notre Dame to Alabama to be their offensive coordinator, the highest paid coordinator, I think I read, in the country right now. Harry Heastan left as offensive line coach. And I'm not being negative toward the replacements. Those are just 
were important parts to this Notre Dame football program. But as we know in college football, time moves on. You get a new special teams coach. You hire a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive line coach, and away you go. But for the players, I'm sure many of them were sad to see Matco just because the relationship they had built with him since they arrived at the University of Notre Dame. Here's Coach Freeman on the team handling this change right before camp got underway. Uh, change is it's inevitable, right? And that's what I told the group. Like, I was as hurt as anybody by losing somebody I respect and enjoy working with, you know? And, and that hurts, but time doesn't stop. That's the reality of this thing is that we have to continue to move forward. Leaders lead. Leaders continue to lead. I don't care if Matt Bayless, our head strength coach, or Marcus Freeman's the head strength coach. Leaders lead. Um, and that's what they'll continue to do because time's not slowing down. And we understand that we have an objective in front of us and making sure we're ready for Dublin, Ireland, right? And, and so um, our guys did a great job of refocusing themselves. Listen, um, it's not saying like it doesn't affect them, right? But we have to continue to move forward. Um, and this won't be the last change or this won't be the last thing that happens to this group, right? And I don't know when the next thing or change will happen, but time doesn't stop. So we have to move forward. And um, we have to do a good job as coaches to be there for our players, right? I'm not saying we're not there for our players. Like, hey, you got to move on. No, we got to be there to listen to them and, and, and be there to support our guys. Coaches got to support each other. Um, but we have to continue to move forward. And you do move on at the same time. We all thank Matt Bayless for his great contributions to this Notre Dame football program. Hat trick of opening topics number three for tonight. We leave football talk for a second. Because I need to apologize. I'm going to apologize on behalf of anyone that roots for the St. Louis Cardinals. And we're apologizing to Chicago Cubs fans because last night was as an embarrassing of a moment in any baseball game that I can remember involving my favorite team. I was thinking last night, after all the chaos in the first inning, which we'll get to in a second, when's the last time a situation happened in a game where the Cardinal organization was truly embarrassed? And I guess I have to go back to when I was about 14 years old. Showing my age, but oh well. 1985 World Series, the infamous Game 6, Cardinals-Royals. Don Dinkinger blows an obvious call at first base in the ninth inning with the Cardinals ahead. The floodgates opened from there. Lost that game and then got blown out in Game 7. And within that Game 7, Dinkinger, who was at first for Game 6, had to go behind the plate for Game 7. Probably missed a couple of pitches that, well, the game was over at that point, but the Cardinals were frustrated about the call the previous night. And Joaquin Andahar, who had a big-time temper, Cardinal pitcher, went after Dinkinger and got thrown out of the game, had to be restrained. It was embarrassing. This is very similar. If you watched the game last night, 
You know what I'm talking about. If you didn't, here's a quick synopsis. First inning of the game. Nobody on two outs. Ian Happ at the plate for the Cubs. Miles Michaelis pitching for St. Louis and former Cub Wilson Contreras behind the plate for St. Louis. Happ swung at a pitch, and the follow-through, the bat hit Contreras in the side of the head where the mask and the helmet kind of come together, not a goalie-style mask, but the old helmet-mask combination. And Contreras went down and actually suffered a pretty good scalp abrasion. They could not get the blood to stop, so they had to take Contreras out of the game. Happened Contreras' teammates in Chicago apparently had a great relationship. They hugged as Contreras walked off the field. Good sportsmanship showed by everybody. So now Andrew Kisner goes behind the plate, taking Contreras' spot. Miles Michaelis goes back to the mound, and his next pitch is near the shoulders and the chin inside to half. At that point, you're thinking, was that on purpose? You hope not, because no one, no one watching that game or participating in that game outside of Michaelis understood Hap did not do that on purpose. That was just something that happens in a game. You see it? Jan Gomes of the Cubs was hit like that earlier this year and had to go on the injured list. It's not fun, but it was not intentional. So Michaelis missed up and in, which is a big no-no. And then he comes back with the next pitch. You could see Hap knew it was coming. He basically turned his rear end of the mound and took a pitch in the backside. After a couple of moments of the umpires getting together, Michaelis was ejected, and he couldn't believe he got ejected. The Cardinal broadcast team on TV embarrassed themselves by throwing a fit that Michaelis got thrown out. You had Chip Carey and Brad Thompson on the call. Here's what I think is kind of humorous. And again, I'm saying this as a Cardinal fan, and I'm in the 2% that absolutely agree with everything that the umpires did last night for every whiny cardinal fan that i have heard or read their opinion on this whole situation over the last almost 24 hours here's what i don't understand everybody's throwing a fit that the umpires threw them out the umpires are told if you believe a pitcher intentionally hits a batter you throw them out you do not have to be warned you can eject them on the spot. They did it. It was the right thing because there's no doubt he was throwing it in half. How can any Cardinal fan have an argument with that? It's by the book. You throw at someone, you gone. See you later. And those same individuals, these whiny Cardinal fans that I'm talking about, that used to applaud Tony LaRussa with the way he handled beanball situations or retaliation situations. Tony was the king, and I led the charge. Tony handled things beautifully. But here's what I always remember Tony talking about. Number one, if you believe you need to retaliate, the first thing you do not do is throw near the shoulders or the head. That's off limits. That is a no-no. It is a person's livelihood on the line. You do not throw at a hitter's head or shoulder. 
This just in. Michaelis did that with the first pitch. Plain and simple. It was obvious. Absolutely obvious. And the second thing Tony would say, you get one shot. If you miss, you're done. It's over. You had your chance. We're not going to spend all night like we're at the county fair and you get to throw at the objects. You can buy more balls to try to knock something down to win a prize. No, you get one shot and that's it. Michaelis took two shots. So for all the Cardinal fans whining and complaining today, were you the same ones that applauded LaRusse's rules back in the day? And Michaelis broke both of them last night. Shame on him. Ian Happ did not deserve to get hit. He didn't do anything on purpose. If he did something on purpose, then we can have a conversation about retaliation, but there was no reason whatsoever to hit Ian Happ. Embarrassing. It's a clown show. And the Cardinal announcers try to put it on the umpires that it was an ump show. No, it was a clown show by our pitcher. Sad and pathetic. It's been a horrible season, and that just is icing on the cake. And then Michaelis is going to point toward the Cubs' dugout and want him to come out, sit down, and be quiet. Holy cow. I'm glad the Cubs laughed at him because it was amusing because, again, an embarrassment. I am a diehard Cardinal fan. I watch every game even though they stink this year. But I am not going to sit here and be a rah-rah with red-colored glasses on and say this was all great last night. No, it was lousy and it was embarrassing, and they all know better. Everyone involved knew better. I mean, what was Hap supposed to do? I mean, they hugged afterwards. I'm sure he said he's sorry. It just felt like Miles had a reason to bean somebody, and he did it. And you know what? Good for the umpires throwing him out, and he deserves a five-game suspension, which I hope is coming. He's earned it. He's absolutely earned it. So, Cub fans, I'm sorry. That was embarrassing last night. It was pathetic. And I'm glad you whooped our tails last night, to be perfectly honest, because they deserved to get their butt kicked last night after just an absolutely ridiculous scene on the field in the first inning last night. Ugh. Unbelievable. And for the past 24 and a half years being on this show, for all the Cub fans to say, oh, you're a homer with your team, you rip the Cubs. If that doesn't prove I call it as I see it, I don't know what will. I don't think I can ever convince you. All right, 531 is our time. Hey, let's talk some Notre Dame quarterbacks. That's a fun subject. Sam Hartman, number one. Number two is? We'll get into a discussion in a few moments. Your home of the Fighting Irish is Sports Radio 960 WSBT, and it's also the home of Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Continues now. Ball caught. Touchdown. What a catch on the three-yard line by Jaden Thomas. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Caught on the one-yard line and into the end zone. Tobias Merriweather. First catch of his Notre Dame career. Goes for a touchdown from 41 yards out. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Setting up Estevez over the middle, 25-20. He'll score. 10-5. Touchdown, Notre Dame.
I'm looking forward to another season of Paul Burmeister on the call of Notre Dame football here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Edging closer 29 days away from Notre Dame versus Navy in Dublin. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sports Beat continues on this Friday. It is 538 at WSBT. Well, one thing we're all looking forward to that follow the Notre Dame football team. Sam Hartman's first game with that Fighting Irish gold helmet on, wearing that jersey number 10. We're all hoping he can just pick up where he left off at Wake Forest and provide a major boost to this Fighting Irish offense that was missing, honestly, some quarterback play last year or could have been right there in the mix for the playoff if you have quality quarterback play. And I'm not saying the only reason they lost to Marshall and Stanford was quarterback play. We all know that was team losses. But you get better quarterback play in those two games. The quarterback play might have been able to overcome deficiencies elsewhere. And this football team could have been 11-1 and rather than 9-3. and And who knows where the conversation would have been at the end of the year. They would have been probably in a New Year's Six Bowl game at the very least. But now you've got that quarterback. You've got developing wide receivers, an outstanding running back room that we just talked about, the offensive line installing a couple of new offensive guards. Boy, what you hear about Billy Shrouth, he could be a dominant guard now entering the lineup for the Fighting Irish. It sure seems like he is locked in and ready to go to be a big physical left guard for this Fighting Irish football team. We'll see what happens at right guard with Kristoffic and Spindler. But it sure seems like as we sit here today, there are four spots on the offensive line that Notre Dame feels really good about. We'll see what happens at right guard. You get that running game going, as we talked about earlier, coupled with the ability of Hartman to throw the deep ball. It's really interesting to see what might be the ceiling for the Fighting Irish offense in 2023. So I think it's fair to say we know what we're going to get with Sam Hartman, even though he's going to be under center in huddles, things that he did not do at Wake Forest. There will be times he's still in the shotgun, of course, but I'm very confident in his ability to take the quarterback position to a much higher level than last year. You never want to think about an injury at the quarterback position. We had to deal with it last year in game number two with the injury to Tyler Buckner against Marshall, costing him the rest of the regular season, came back for the Gator Bowl, and that put Drew Pine in the hot seat, and there were plenty of ups and downs with Pine as your starting quarterback. But what about Angeli? He is now once again sitting in a place where he is one snap away from being the leader of this fighting Irish offense. Hopefully we don't have to worry about that. Let's hope that Sam Hartman is durable this year. But there is, again, a chance that Angeli could be the guy heading out onto the field to lead the offense. Marcus Freeman was asked this week, was there any thought bringing in a veteran quarterback to be that number two since Angeli and Minchie aren't guys that have thrown a football in a game as of yet at Notre Dame? So is there was there any thought to bringing in somebody else? Here's how Freeman handled that question. We, we, we had long discussions about that. Myself, uh, Coach Parker, Coach Gadouli, and we came to the decision that 
we would rather invest those those reps in, in Steve Angeli and Kenny Minchie, and, and, and we believe that they'll develop um, to be exactly what we want as, as backups um, as we go into the season than to go and try to find somebody out of transfer portal. Um, we felt like we're going to invest in those guys that have been here, and, and we think their upside is tremendous. First, I'll say this. This is just my opinion, not Marcus Freeman's opinion or anybody else's, but my opinion is they probably – learned a lesson from last year that when you have two guys with limited experience and you've got a football team that's ready to win, it's good to have a veteran presence on your depth chart at quarterback. Again, could have made a difference last year. So this time around, they had their chance to go get a veteran guy. But I think it says a lot this time that they do believe in what Steve Angeli can do, I think they like the development of Minchie. You're not going to make the mistake twice. If they did not believe in these two, you probably have another quarterback in this camp. So I believe they did their due diligence, they worked through this, and they ended up deciding that these are our guys. Plus, you have to kind of have a conversation that at some point, Guys you're recruiting to come into this program have to enter the program, develop, play, stay the starter, and then hopefully go to the National Football League. Bringing in guys that are here and then all of a sudden they're gone, you need some stability. You need recruits to see that if you're coming to Notre Dame, they're not just going to recruit over you with the transfer portal guy, that you can come here, develop, and be the guy, and that's the hope with Minchie. That's the hope with C.J. Carr. Heck, maybe that's the hope with Steve Angeli as well. So from a recruiting standpoint, I hope this is the right decision. And two guys that you recruited, you signed, and you're developing are ready if they are needed this year. Marcus Freeman on his probable backup, Steve Angeli. And if we didn't, we would have went and got a transfer portal quarterback, right? And that's the conversation we had. We believe – Steve Angeli, Kenny Minchie, both of those guys can be the future of Notre Dame football um, at the quarterback position. And, you know, I've seen a couple things out of Steve, right, is he's continuously, constantly hanging out with um, Sam Hartman, right, and really um, learning the habits that Sam has as a, as a starting quarterback, as an elite quarterback. And so I think that's helping, um, you know, Steve. But also last year, if you think about it, it was game two. He's gone from being a third scout. He was on scout team being a third-string quarterback to your thrusting to being one play away. Well, he knows he's one play away now. And, and I think his mindset is different um, from last year than where it is now. And so uh, I've seen him continuously improve, and I, I look forward to seeing what he does the rest of camp. Marcus Freeman on his backup quarterback, Steve Angeli. And one other thought on the passing game, it was – a big surprise in the spring when we found out that running back Chris Tyree was being moved over to wide receiver. They're going to try it out in the spring. Well, things went very, very well, and Chris Tyree is still a wide receiver, and I would say he is trending toward being the slot wide receiver against Navy, the first guy on the field in the slot, maybe joining Tobias Merriweather and Jaden Thomas as the starters, but Tyree was an individual that flashed those really good hands when he was a running back. And now Marcus Freeman wants to take those hands, the great athleticism and speed, put him in the slot, and hopefully develop another playmaker for 
Fighting Irish quarterback Sam Hartman. Here's Freeman on Tyree's continuing development at the wide receiver position. Even more experience. I, I don't know. I talked to Coach Stuckey. Um, we had a staff retreat, and he gave me the amount, I think 18,000 balls he caught. And Coach Stuckey could give you the right number, but I, I think it was around 18,000. And um, all those wideouts have, have really done a good job of, of working at their craft and give credit to Coach Stuckey for, for really helping develop those guys and pushing them this summer. But um, he's just gotten better and better and better. And then the confidence and trust between Sam Hartman and our quarterbacks and Chris Tyree, right? And trust is built over time. That's not going to be because I say you guys got to trust, you throw a, trust you th uh, each other, throw the ball right there, and he's going to catch it. You know, it's like overtime repetitions of both guys constantly doing it right builds that trust. And so they've worked tirelessly this summer, um, and you've seen really the, the improvement from spring till now. All right. Might have been an experiment in the spring. It looks like it was a really good experiment to have as Chris Tyree trending toward a possible starter at the wide receiver spot for this Fighting Irish football team. Just as we sit here on July 28th, a long way to go in fall camp, just my guesstimate on what the depth chart might look like at the wide receiver position as we head toward the Navy game in a little over three weeks. I've got at the field wide receiver position, and that is the wide side of the field where there is the most, most space. I've got Tobias Merriweather as the starter, and I stuck Rico Flores Jr., the freshman, as his backup. Merriweather, one catch, 41 yards. It was a touchdown during his freshman campaign. He is trending in a positive direction, and it looks like he's got a great opportunity to be a starter. And I would have to say between Merriweather and Thomas, one of those two, will end up leading the team in catches this year. Speaking of Thomas, as we look at the boundary wide receiver spot, you'd love to have a combination of height, physicalness, and great speed at that particular spot. It's a smaller area of the football field. you got to overpower that corner at times, and when you've got the height and the strength to do that, it's a major advantage. And Jaden Thomas right now leading the charge at the boundary spot. I've got the veteran Dion Colsey in the competition, and you got that good-looking freshman Braylon James developing as well. And then in the slot, this is how I have them lined up. We'll see the real depth chart in a couple of weeks, but Chris Tyree, put him at the slot right now. Jaden Greathouse, who had the double-digit catch game in the blue-goal game back in April. I've got him at number two, and you got the the reliable – an old veteran around these parts, Matt Salerno there as well. If needed, he'll be ready to go. So that's just kind of my depth chart. We'll see what the coaching staff comes up with over the next couple of weeks as we get set for that first game against Navy on August the 26th. It's 548. I'm Darren Pritchett. Sportsbeat will continue in a moment with our Twitter question of the day still to come. Our opponent preview shifts to the game that Notre Dame will play in Durham against the upstart Duke Blue Devils. Sportsbeat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sportsbeat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Just about seven minutes in front of six o'clock. I'm Darren Pritchett. We move along 
Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Friday. We've got our Twitter question of the day. It can be found during the week on my Twitter account at 960-SPORTSBEAT. Yesterday, we asked you if Jordan Patello leads Notre Dame in sacks in 2023. That would be the expectation anyway. From these four players, who do you believe will be second on the team in sacks? Your choices. Nana, Osafa, Mensa. Defensive end. Another defensive end. The transfer from Ohio State, Javante Jean-Baptiste. From the interior of the defensive line, what about Riley Mills? Or let's also bring a linebacker into the conversation. Could we see some more linebacker blitzes this year with two outstanding man corners? So how about Jack Kaiser? So which of those four will lead the team in sacks? From anyone not named Jordan Patello. Osafa Mensa, Jean-Baptiste, Mills, Kaiser. You voted the results. You're not sold on the linebackers coming hard yet because Jack Kaiser got 6.9% of the vote. Third in the voting at 17.2%, Nana Osafa Mensa. Second in the voting, you are a believer in the young man from Ohio State who had four sacks last year. 31% of the vote, Javante Jean-Baptiste. But winning the vote, an old wily veteran. We've seen him get after the quarterback in his Notre Dame career. 44.8% say the guy number two in sacks this year behind Batella will be Riley Mills. We thank you very, very much for voting, and we ask you to vote again. Today's question is as followed. Who is the best Notre Dame football, quote-unquote, duo? Who is the best Notre Dame football duo? Here are your four choices from the wide receiver room. Tobias Merriweather and Jaden Thomas. Your second choice. From the running back room, Audric Estime and Jadarian Price. Choice number three. How about the corners, Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison? Or from the linebacker group, J.D. Bertrand and Jack Kaiser. I didn't write down first names. I honest to goodness froze for three seconds there. I almost said Deshaun Kaiser. Jack Kaiser. So who do you think? Who's the best duo? Merriweather and Thomas? Estime and Price? Hart and Morrison? Or Bertrand and Kaiser? Once again, you can vote now and in the morning on my Twitter account at 960-SPORTSBEAT. Thank you in advance. We'll have the results on Monday's program. We got to take a timeout. A sports update is on the way. And then our Notre Dame football opponent preview moves to the Duke Blue Devils. Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We are streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the WSBT Radio app. 
brought to you by Budweiser for 13 years, Folds of Honor, and Budweiser have provided life-changing scholarships to military families. Join United Beverage in raising a bud to raise funds for Folds of Honor. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's the Family Inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Bethel University, adult and graduate studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. And by Bowlers Country Club, inviting everyone to their 38th annual corn and sausage roast this Saturday. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Six oh eight at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Darren Pritchett back with you. Hour number two of the program. You heard in the sports update about the White Sox trading Lynn and Kelly to the Dodgers. Also now the White Sox have traded reliever Kendall Grayman to the Astros for Corey Lee, a catcher in the Astros system. Lee was actually roommates at the University of California with current White Sox infielder slash outfielder Andrew Vaughn and hit back-to-back in the Cal lineup. So Vaughn very familiar with Corey Lee. And Lee was the number five prospect in the Astros system. And you take a look at the updated MLB pipeline. White Sox top 30 prospect list. Lee is in the top 15. Most of the prospects they picked up were in the top 15, except for that double-A reliever they got from the Dodgers today. Leisure, he's down around 25. Not a lot of value. 25-year-old, just hasn't done it at a good enough clip at the minor league level, but all the others are very high, including Kiro, that catcher they got from the Angels for Giolito. He's now number two in the White Sox prospect list, according to MLB Pipeline. And I'm sure the White Sox are not done. I wouldn't be shocked if Grandal doesn't get traded at the deadline or during the offseason. And we'll see if they mess around with any other parts, if they try to shake things up a little bit on the south side of Chicago. Our Notre Dame football opponent preview rolls on today as we head back to the Atlantic Coast Conference. And Notre Dame will be heading to Durham, North Carolina to take on the Duke Blue Devils. Duke is the opponent the week after the Irish will host Ohio State, so the team's going to have to be locked in and put that Ohio State game behind them quickly, win or lose, because this is a tricky game against Duke. The Blue Devils shocked everybody last year going 9-4. They picked up a 30-0 win over Temple. They won at Northwestern 31-23, a win over North Carolina A&T 49-20. Within the ACC, well, they had a good go. They cruised by Virginia 38-17. They hammered the Hurricanes of Miami down in Florida 45-21. They won at Boston College 38-31. Cruised by Virginia Tech 24-7. And Duke beat Sam Hartman and Wake Forest 
34-31. The Duke losses? Well, they fell to a really good Kansas team in Lawrence, 35-27. I would say a surprise loss at Georgia Tech, 23-20. They lost to North Carolina, 35-28. And another close loss at Pittsburgh, 28-26. Returning starters? A lot for Duke this year coming off that nine-win season. Ten starters on offense, eight on the defensive side of the football, and all the credit, rightfully so, goes to head coach Mike Elko entering his second season as head coach of Duke. The nine-win 2022 campaign was just the third time since 1941 the Blue Devils have won nine or more games in a season. You should remember Mike Elko, Notre Dame defensive coordinator under Brian Kelly in 2017 and then abruptly left and got a lot of money to become the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. Elko going 9-4 and four at Duke last year earned him ACC Coach of the Year. On the offensive side of the football with those 10 starters back last year, they averaged 32.8 points per game posted 416 yards of total offense, 184 rushing yards, and 232 passing yards. The new offensive coordinator is Kevin Johns. He comes from Memphis. The last three years with that high-powered Tiger offense, he directed Memphis to 30.1 points per game, 31 points per game, and 40.1 points per contest. And he comes to Durham and takes over a program that has a really, really good quarterback and probably still underrated despite a spectacular year last year. 2,967 passing yards for Riley Leonard. He completed 63.8% of his throws, 20 touchdown passes with only six interceptions. And oh, by the way, Leonard was also the team's number one rusher. 124 carries for 699 yards and also 13 touchdowns for Leonard. You would have to say, going into this season, the third-best quarterback in the ACC behind Cade Klubnick of Clemson and Jordan Travis of Florida State. Put those two in whatever order you would like. Now, all of Leonard's top receivers return, led by Jalen Calhoun, Calhoun for Duke last year, 62 catches, 873 yards and four touchdowns. And a former quarterback, Jordan Moore, had 60 catches, 656 yards and five touchdowns. Quite a transition from quarterback to wide receiver and a successful one. Calhoun, the leading pass catcher, had a big game against Wake Forest, 174 receiving yards. Calhoun and Moore combined to catch 122 of the team's 250 catches. Now, the offensive line is anchored by all-ACC left tackle Graham Barton. Four starters return, 122 career starts for Duke. Stanford's Jake Hornibrook was brought in to fill a spot at the right tackle position. We talked about all the people back along the wide receiving core in the offensive line. Well, the top five rushers are back. For Duke as well, led by the quarterback Leonard. It sounds like they don't want him to run as much this year. So maybe now Jordan Waters, who is the top running back, gets more opportunities. 
Waters in 13 games for the Blue Devils, 123 yards, 581 yards, and eight touchdowns. Now the fifth leading rusher, Terry Moore, is moving to safety, and he projects as a starter on the Duke defense. As we go to the defensive side of the football, which is Elko's specialty, what a job at his first year. Duke's defense gave up just 22.1 points per game, 378 yards of total offense, 121 rushing yards allowed, and 257 through the air. Eight starters back on defense from a group that recorded 36 sacks last season. Now pressure comes from up the middle. That gives quarterbacks migraine headaches, but Duke's got a really, really good defensive tackle in Dwayne Carter, second All-ACC last year, four and a half sacks from the interior of the Duke defensive line. You do have defensive end R.J. Oban coming off the edge, four and a half sacks last year. There, what I would call rover in the Notre Dame system is Brandon Johnson. He actually led the team in sacks with five and a half, fifth on the team in tackles with 55, and the weak side backer Cam Dillon with 61 tackles. He is back as well. Now, second team, ACC corner, Darius Jorner is gone, but Duke has added two starting cornerbacks from other programs through the transfer portal. From Texas A&M, they brought in Miles Jones, and from Miami, Al Blades, who started 15 games for the Canes. Strong safety, Jalen Stinson, was third on the team in tackles last year. Their top returner, he had 74 tackles plus a couple of interceptions for Stinson. So a lot of returning players from that nine-win Duke football team. You look at some of the betting notes for Notre Dame and Duke. Duke has covered against Notre Dame in two of the last three meetings. Back in 2016, Duke was getting 20 points, and the Blue Devils won outright at Notre Dame Stadium, 38-35. In 2019, Notre Dame, a seven-point favorite on the road in Durham and cruised to a 38-7 win. And the last meeting, 2020 at Notre Dame Stadium, the Irish were a three-touchdown favorite, but only won by two touchdowns, 27-13. Duke, the last 10 years as a home underdog, they're very good against the spread, 13-8-1. Last year as a home underdog against the spread, Duke was 2-0, and they're 4-3 over the last two years. I bring that up with the expectation that Notre Dame would be the favorite and the Dukies would be the home underdog in Durham. So it's Notre Dame and Duke. Tricky game for the Irish after that Ohio State matchup and after the Fighting Irish get done in Durham taking on the Duke Blue Devils. Then they have to go to Louisville to take on the Cardinals, now being run by former Purdue head coach Jeff Brom, and we will focus on the Cardinals in our next opponent preview on Budweiser's weekday sports beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. continues now. Ball caught, touchdown! What a catch on the three-yard line by Jaden Thomas. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Caught on the one-yard line and into the end zone. Tobias Merriweather, first catch of his Notre Dame career. 
goes for a touchdown from 41 yards out. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. So they'll estimate over the middle 25-20. He'll score. 10-5. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Well, it's great to have Notre Dame football back. Training camp is underway. But there was plenty to talk about surrounding Notre Dame football outside of training camp, including a massive recruiting weekend last weekend for Marcus Freeman and the Fighting Irish. With all the details, we always call upon our colleague at Blue and Gold Illustrated, their Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Mike Singer. Logan Saldate, a wide receiver who was going to play his football with the Beavers of Oregon State. Bing, bang, boom. He's now a member of the Notre Dame class. Your impressions of this wide receiver? Yeah, my uh, saying of uh, June visits lead to July commitments kind of looked dumb for a while, and then Notre Dame picked up a couple, <laughs> um, even though, you know, Soldate hasn't visited Notre Dame yet. But, hey, um, no one needs to know that. But, you know, look, Isaiah Canyon decommits from Notre Dame. Um, was it July 1st or July 2nd? Notre Dame goes, all right, we're going to see if we can reevaluate uh, situations with old targets. Um, some of the big names maybe look at offering some other big-time players elsewhere. Um, I mean, they really did a pretty expansive look at where the 2024 wide receiver position stood across the country. And Logan Saldate um, from Northern California is the guy that the staff is really impressed with. His, um, you know, 100-meter track time, 10-8, uh, was, was impressive to the staff. He had, I think, Cam Williams, I believe it was the, he was the state champion with the long jump in Illinois. Saldate had a better long jump than Cam Williams. I had a Notre Dame source tell me that when Saldate gets to Notre Dame next summer, like his testing times, so it's like his athletic um, like his athleticism, when he gets to Notre Dame, he's going to be, you know, a top five guy in wow. most categories for Notre Dame. That's getting there as a true freshman. Um, so this is just I, I, Notre Dame's big on some of these testing times and measurables and stuff, and he's 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 really impressed um, with what he can do. So Notre Dame liked him, but there is a switch, all right, of if we're going to go after you. We want you to send in you running the entire route tree. You know, hey, go down to the your, your high school or the local park and have mom film you running all these routes um, and send it in. Because this happened during the July dead period. So it's not like you could go up to, this, to campus and do a camp for Notre Dame. Notre Dame wouldn't be able to go up to his high school to evaluate them for themselves until September. Um, so at the earliest. Um, so... He sends it in. He runs a 40 for them as well, and uh, clearly he, he really impressed them. So Notre Dame offers, and, you know, this is a kid who told me he you know, grew up going to Catholic schools. He was pretty happy with Oregon State, but, you know, he had said even before Notre Dame started showing interest that, hey, if the school's going to be able to flip me from Oregon State, it's going to be Notre Dame. Hmm. And uh, lo and behold, here we are, Dan. Pretty good find by Chancey Stuckey. Never giving up on a prospect. Never stop looking. I know you mentioned they had to replace Canyon, but that's pretty good work by the Irish staff in in reevaluating this guy, finding this guy, and getting him in the class. Yeah, I, I think it's a good take. And 
Notre Dame seems to, to really like him. And I know some folks are going to be like, all right, Mike, you're trying to tell me that, oh, this is a three-star guy. and Notre Dame really likes him. I mean, how many times I've heard that story before? Look, I, I get it if that's where people want to come from from it. But, um, I mean, I'm, I'm just giving you guys this information. You take take what you, you know, you can do with that, that info what you want. But um, I think it's a really good take for Notre Dame. He's going to be a true slot for the Irish at 5'11", 185 pounds. Notre Dame's got a lot of big-bodied receivers. Um, so, you know, it, it is good to kind of mix in that true slot technician. Um, he's got a game pretty similar to Caleb Smith, who the Irish signed in the last cycle. So just, it just is continuing to stack talented receivers to that room, Darren. Williams, Gilbert, and Saldate. So that's going to be your wide receiver class for 2024, and I guess you give that a good thumbs up? Yeah, I, I would. I think it's a pretty strong class, you know, solid B plus, A minus, for sure. So it was a pretty good start to the weekend. But then we get to some really, really big-time news. To me, this guy picking Notre Dame, I was as excited as many people were way back when when C.J. Carr picked the Fighting Irish. I was really, really impressed by this kid, Mike. And his name is Kingston Viliamu Asa. And he's also out of California. I love the fact, Mike, he plays against elite competition in California. He's big. He's physical. He's fast. This just seems like the type of player this Notre Dame defense has been looking to find an elite guy that would have an outside chance of possibly starting on day one. Yep. And uh, you say that because I know you heard Mike Goolsby, yep. you know, former Notre Dame linebacker and captain on our Blue and Gold YouTube channel, say that he would be shocked if William Lawson doesn't at least you know, become a contributor as a freshman, if not, you know, a day one starter. And I was talking to Notre Dame source, and uh, let's just say folks in South Bend have the same thought as well. And you mentioned, like, your level of excitement kind of rivals the excitement of C.J. Carr. And I'm telling you, you keep getting smarter and smarter because you keep talking to me every week, um, joking. But but seriously, um, you know, that's, that's how folks, you know, on the Notre Dame side feel as well, that you – in this class, you have the quarterback and then the quarterback of defense in Philly on the Wassa. You know, it's interesting comparing this cycle to last cycle. I think the 23 cycle for Notre Dame was deeper than the 24 class is. But this 24 class, how top-heavy it is with C.J. Carr, Cam Williams, Kingston Philly on the Wassa, Kedron Young. I mean, some of these guys. I mean, you have some elite players in this class. And we'll talk soon uh, in, in your segment about Gerby Lambert, Notre Dame's able to get that elite offensive tackle. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, sure, you would have liked to have Justin Scott, but I'm telling you, Darren, Notre Dame could not be a whole lot more excited about their defensive line class than it is right now. And, yeah, Villianuasa, what a win for the Irish. Really interesting, Darren, in that he basically – I mean, he said – Ohio State led for me. USC led for me coming after those visits, uh, those June official visits. And his top three was USC, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. He said flat out, I couldn't see myself in Notre Dame. Hmm. But, I mean, touchdown Jesus and, you know, and first down Moses works some, some magic for Notre Dame. He goes on a church retreat, comes back, and he's like, yeah, I want Notre Dame. Um, so he tells his parents on Saturday, tells the Notre Dame staff Saturday night, and he's committed Sunday, you know, just a little past 5 p.m. Eastern time. I mean, I was talking to sources in Notre Dame, um, you know, Monday morning, and it was like, 
there's the uh, this, like how excited people are. I mean, it is like Notre Dame just want to you know just beat a Clemson or something. Like there is so much excitement. This is a huge deal for Notre Dame. Great recruiting win over you know two rivals uh, in Ohio State and USC. Um, and then yeah, on the field, Kingston Villian Rasa. I mean, he he's a freak show. Um, he is he's going to be an outstanding linebacker. I mean, a freshman starter on varsity, I believe, at St. John Bosco. Which again, the Trinity League is you know one of the best you know it, it, probably the best high school football in the country. So yeah, this is just a huge commitment for Notre Dame, Darren. And they get this guy out of USC's backyard. I know you talked about the Ohio State and USC dynamics. Ohio State's a recruiting rival, and USC's just a rival when it comes to everything. To get this kid out of USC's backyard has to make this even more special for this Fighting Irish coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, and, and we'll be talking about in our YouTube video, even a little nice one over James Laurinaitis, who, you know, Freeman gave his coaching start to, and and then he leaves for his alma mater, and then Notre Dame beats him out. And, you know, look, Ohio State's beaten Notre Dame uh, for a few prospects for sure in the cycle. So I think that was nice for the Irish to kind of get that. And a nice little win over the Buckeyes. And you said, yeah, recruiting rivals, Midwest thing. But, of course, they play in, yeah. in, in you know less than two months. So it's just a nice little first jab for the Irish. And Ohio State needed Kingston Philly on the loss. So there's another uh, kid out of Tennessee, a linebacker who Ohio State really wanted to get. They didn't land him either. So Ohio State's kind of you know back to the drawing board at linebacker spot, just like Notre Dame would have been if Philly on the loss that didn't commit for you know another addition to the class. So great kid. Just uh, vibes are up at Notre Dame, Darren. There's a lot of excitement. And you just fast forward a little bit. You want competition for all of your starting spots. And you think ahead to this time next year, KVA, Drake Bowen, you know, two highly acclaimed linebackers in back-to-back classes. That could be your competition for the middle linebacker spot. So you can really appreciate what Marcus Freeman has done in his three years here in South Bend, recruiting the linebacker position. There has definitely been an uptick in the quality and the depth of the talent at the linebacker spots. Drake Bowen versus Kingston Philly on the loss of the linebacker. I mean, just inject it into my veins, Darren. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. <laughs> I'm excited. I, I, seriously, yeah. I'm never. I'm usually not a a guy who enjoys talking about linebacker battles. I'll leave that to Goolsby, but that one's going to be very exciting, especially when we talk about you know young guys. And I'm I'm sure there will be some others who you know will will battle for that as well for that Mike spot. But that will be a lot of fun. For more recruiting news from Mike Singer, check out blueandgold.com. Now let's talk about Notre Dame football training camp. Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated is Tyler Horka. I put together my own Notre Dame football depth chart today, and I had my running back list, and I've altered it four times because I'm trying to figure out what the order is going to be. First off, this is a really good problem to have. The five guys I'm trying to put in order, I mean, Tyler, these are really, really good running backs. So it's not like you have two weak links at the end that you're trying to figure out the order. I mean, these are five guys that I feel like Notre Dame has a lot of confidence in, including, you know, a two freshman in Jeremiah Love. But Audric Estime, we know, is Batman. That's pretty simple. But you got yep. Price, Ford, 
pain, love. It's really hard to put them in any order at this time. I'll tell you, I put down Price second, Ford third for now. How would you sum up right now? After day one, there's no pads, but what order would you put those top three running backs? You're a smart man, Darren, because that's my top three as well, and this is after watching an entire day of practice where we literally got to see these guys line up uh, time and time again out there on the field in an 11-on-11 capacity. So, yeah, I mean, Audrey Gestime is number one. Everybody knew that going in. But that's kind of the intrigue in this room is, yeah, you got four other guys, but you've got no idea what order those guys were going to be in. I think it answered my, – my questions were answered pretty confidently. Darian Price pretty much trotted out there second behind Estime – at every turn when estimates, you know, time on the field was up, he jog off and did price would jog in. So I think those are the top two guys. And then, yeah, Devin Ford, I think was number three for me. Uh, he got a lot of second team reps, you know, if Estime and, and price were out or needed a breather or whatever, I think he might've even got some first team reps. That's just the nature of a running back. So uh, you can have three guys who can, you know, viably. And then on this team, maybe four or five who can viably run with the first team doesn't mean you are a first teamer. That's Audric Estime. But uh, those were the top three guys. But it's funny, just kind of continuing this conversation, you had those three, and then I thought Jeremiah Love was kind of in lockstep with Devin Ford. So maybe mm. that was like a 3A and a, and a 3B. But then I look down at my notes, and I start remembering some of the plays and, and replaying them in my mind. And I'm like, well, shoot, did there, or, uh, Jabron Payne, ran in a touchdown and caught a <laughs> touchdown consecutive plays during this practice. This was 11 on 11. And if you've read our stuff at blueandgold.com, it was all red zone today. Every single snap was inside the 20 yard line. We'll probably talk about that a little later in our conversation, but so, so that's why you're ref, you, you'll see me reference so many touchdowns, but still on consecutive plays where, you know, you got a defense out there who kind of probably knows what's coming in a lot of these red zone packages from the offense. For Jabron Payne to score twice in a row, I thought it was really, really impressive. So I, I thought it was Estime, Price, Ford, Love, and then I'm like, well, shoot, where do I put Payne into this thing? <laughs> I think it's got a, a behind Estime. There's a really good chance that this thing is by committee, and it's not because you don't know who's good. It's because everybody's good, and I think everybody can go in there and get the job done. Hmm. Tyler, if we would have had our say – we would have had Sam Hartman throw a lot of deep balls today because that's what he did so well at Wake Forest. But you just defined what practice was about today on the offensive side of the football, red zone work, taking snaps inside the 20-yard line. So we don't have anything to report of Sam just letting her fly down the field. But give me your thoughts on the chemistry that was or was not there between Hartman and his wide receivers on day one of fall camp. I thought it was pretty good, and, and again, I thought the defense kind of knew what was coming on some of these, so there were some broken up plays. Um, I, I don't know if you, you'd probably say the defense won the day. There were a couple really good interceptions. Benjamin Morrison had one, Clarence Lewis, and Jaden Mickey. So right there, you're like, whoa, def not only turnovers, but turnovers in the red zone. That's a good sign for the Notre Dame defense. Outside of that, I thought Hartman was doing what he did at Wake Forest and, and really what he did in the spring game this past spring for Notre Dame, and then kind of throughout the spring as well, he was spreading the ball around is the big one. Chris Tyree was a target of his. He was looking to the running backs out of the backfield. Uh, he was throwing to the tight ends a little bit. Holden Stays was a favorite target of his today. So 
I think that was an emphasis as much as kind of getting these red zone plays in and maybe some misdirection, some tunnel screen types of stuff was just, hey, man, we got a lot of weapons here. Let's try to use them. Uh, and, again, it wasn't air the ball out downfield type of day. which was, That kind of got me out of bed early this morning. I was like, hey, we get to see Sam Hartman throw the ball 50 yards. We did not. I mean, even in the individual drills and the, the one-on-ones before some of the competitive 11-on-11 and 7-on-7 stuff, it was all in the red zone. So that's kind of a tough proposition for a quarterback. And again, especially when the defense kind of knows what's coming, but it didn't feel like one of those days in the spring where this guy's brand new. And I mean, we talked back in April or, you know, March and April, it looked a little discombobulated back then. And maybe he wasn't fully comfortable with his surroundings today. I think he was, he was spreading the ball around through a couple touchdown passes. So uh, for as far as a, a first day of camp goes, and if you're going to limit the situation to what it was, I think Sam Hartman performed pretty admirably today. He's Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Was there a consistent first-team wide receiver group today? There was, and there really wasn't much rotation, and there was a slight um, difference from what we saw in the spring. You still had Jaden Thomas out there, and you still had Tobias Merriweather. Those would be your two outside guys, Merriweather, Boundary, Thomas, Field. And we've seen Thomas play a lot of slot, obviously, which was interesting because you saw that a lot in the spring. But playing slot today as the number one guy was Chris Tyree. And I think that is a huge boost for Notre Dame just in the sense that he gives you a different body out there. Now, look. There are some people who may be totally out on Chris Tyree just based on what's happened in the last couple of years with the injuries. And then last year he was a third fiddle running back to Audrey Estime and Logan Diggs. And, you know, from that freshman season, things have kind of slid downhill for him. But we talked about how this can be a rebranding, a reinvention of sorts with Tyree moving to wide receiver. And I thought he looked pretty good today, just getting open. And uh, he's one of the guys that, as I mentioned earlier, Sam Hartman threw a touchdown pass to. So, He's got the rapport with Hartman. I think he's way more comfortable running routes as a wide receiver now as opposed to coming out of the backfield and running them. I asked Marcus Freeman at the end of the press conference today kind of the differences he's seen in Tyree uh, from the spring till now and making this switch from running back to wide receiver. And, you know, he says all the things that you're looking for. It's confidence. It's comfort. He's working with these quarterbacks more, so he's got a better relationship with them on and off the field, and all of these things are playing into him Uh, potentially being a starter for this team. It goes back to the question that you asked, who are the first-team wide receivers? I think you can definitely sharpie Jaden Thomas in there. I think Tobias Merriweather is coming into his own as well, and he's got the length and everything you want at boundary. He had a better day today than Deion Colby, so that's where that separation is if those are the two guys who are vying for that spot. And then you might see Chris Tyree starting as this team slot receiver. I mean, he's – He's a veteran guy, even in that wide receiver room, even if he's only been playing this position for a short amount of time. This is his fourth season. You don't have a lot of senior wide receivers in that room. So I thought it was interesting to see him running with the ones, but that may be something that continues throughout fall. Now, before I ask this next question, let me set this up for our listeners just to give them a little background that this is day one of practice. There were not any pads on, so we can't jump to conclusions on on many things. And there are some days where media might be watching a practice where this player is spotlighted, but every other day it might be another player. So we have to kind of balance what we see. So with that being said, can you take away anything today 
from the big batch of tight ends that Gerard Parker and this Fighting Irish offense put on the practice field today. It seemed like everybody had an opportunity to have some chances to make plays, including Cooper Flanagan. Yeah, I thought Cooper Flanagan was impressive. Uh, I do not expect him to trot out there as a starter by any means on August 26th against Navy, but he showed me some things today that for a group that is also pretty inexperienced, maybe he can be in the mix for playing time, at least, against Navy. I wouldn't be shocked to see him get on the field. But uh, I thought Holden Stace had a really good day. He also uh, caught a lot of passes, I mentioned, from Sam Hartman and even uh, some of the other quarterbacks, Steve Angeli, Kenny Minchie, they were looking his way often. But it was interesting. Uh, Eli Raritan was suited, and again, no full pads, so, um, you know, that is what it is. But he was suited, and he was going through all the individual drills, and then it came time for competitive team periods, and I didn't see him get in once. So that may be something with him coming back from the knee still. Uh, we, ex- we actually get to talk to Parker and the tight ends tomorrow, so we can see exactly where he's at and maybe if we will see him do competitive things. He was one of the guys I was really looking forward to seeing from the tight end group, but if he's still limited, then you know all those storylines kind of go out the window, and, and you hope that he's healthy for August 26th. But really it was Kevin Bauman who's also coming back from an ACL injury. He ran with the ones a bunch. Uh, I mentioned Holden Stays, Cooper Flanagan. Uh, Mitchell Evans was another guy that didn't do much in the competitive team periods, and that's – um concerning obviously we'll get the update on him tomorrow as well but he was kind of the number one guy uh, really ever since michael mayer declared for the nfl draft even before the gator bowl you remember mitchell evans was the number one tight end going into that game ends up catching the game winning touchdown pass so it's just kind of a hodgepodge all over the place with these six guys i think once you get them fully healthy and that's the that's the goal for parker obviously with one month until the season, you need all six of those guys because then you can really see which are the two or three best and put them on the field the most. But uh, when you're limited to, hey, who's available, then today that was Bauman looked pretty good. Uh, he was wearing a brace on that knee, but he looked pretty good. Stays looked really good. And then for it being his first college practice ever, I thought Cooper Flanagan looked really good. He wasn't coming away with a lot of catches, but he was targeted – a few times and he was trusted to be on the field uh, out of necessity but I think it was also just based out of what he's earned in in practice or uh, in workouts and whatnot leading up to this so you got really good group if they're all healthy right now that's the goal read more from Tyler at blueandgold.com sports beat continues next on sports radio 960 WSBT Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 